Good morning. I'm loving these videos. They're great, aren't they? We do multimedia well in this church, I have to say. I don't know who does it, but you do a really good job, or the team. You do a really good job. Um, I know I was surprised too <laughs> when Neil called me a couple of months ago. I was surprised too. Uh, at the time, it seemed like a could, good challenge to take on. This morning, I feel like I'm doing a public speaking triathlon or even maybe a hat trick. I do speak at various places, but I don't have to do it three times in a row, like straight away afterwards. Anyway, the third service will be amazing. <laughs> You're the rehearsal. So um, anyway, uh, I, I'm just conscious many of you may, know, may not know who I am. So Neil said my name, I'm Sally Bundock. My family and I have been a part of this church for about 10 years, part of the King's family. So we've been here for a while. Um, Auto cue is something I'm looking for. I haven't got any. That's another challenge for me this morning. Uh, just to explain, I work for BBC News. I present early in the morning. I never miss a moment to plug my programme because I do rely on ratings to ensure <laughs> I stay in a job. So uh, five o'clock, Monday morning, please set your televisions. Um, BBC One. I was knocked off for the Winter Olympics, but I'm back Monday. Um, just to say, my audience consists of breastfeeding mothers. Congratulations, parents of Emily, if you're watching me Monday. Um, <laughs> bottle feeding fathers, you're not off the hook. Insomniacs, shift workers, Neil, apparently. Uh, anyway, but we're on BBC World as well, so I know many of you on holiday sometimes see me pop up in your hotel room, which is very disconcerting, I know, when you're trying to enjoy time out from, uh, from your normal life. So, I am a journalist, but don't worry, I'm not going to bring you any fake news this morning. I have checked my sources, and uh, it is the good news, thank goodness, uh, as opposed to fake news. Um, so, let's get started, and I, as I haven't done this before, I think it'd be a great start to pray. So, let's just pray. Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity. We want to thank you for your word. Um, Holy Spirit, enable me to do a good job of communicating this morning. Effectively, I pray we're inspired, we're challenged, we're encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Right, well, if you've all been um, very good members of the church, you will have been reading your books and uh, following it diligently. It's actually been fantastic. I've been really enjoying it. It's kind of opened up Acts to me in a new, fresh way. So this morning, if you've been working through the book, you'll know that today we're looking at Acts 10. It's a part of history that may be very familiar to you. Uh, it's the story of when Peter uh, meets Cornelius and uh, the Gentiles officially become a part of the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, as journalists, I have to say, I must admit, but don't tell anybody, we are a little bit prone to exaggeration especially when a story is boring, um, but it has to be in the news program. We kind of think of how can we sex this up a bit. Um, the minutiae of Brexit is something that I'm having to deal with on a daily basis. Um, and as you can imagine, you can avoid it, I can't. It can be a little bit dull, but it's very important that we cover every twist and turn. But there are stories that are not like that. There are stories that are massive, that just 
Everybody knows the significance and the meaning and the history that's about to be made. 9-11 is a story, the uh, attack on the Twin Towers, September 11th in 2001, something I covered early in my career. Um, those events absolutely speak for themselves, and as journalists, we don't have much to do. Uh, the stories tell the picture. This, the pictures tell the story even. This story, what we're looking at today in Acts chapter 10, is one of those stories. It's a seismic moment in history. It's a moment when the church of Jesus Christ is changed absolutely forever. You can't really overstate the point. And actually, it's a moment that means that you and I can be here. It's a moment that means you and I are invited. So let's get stuck in Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's quite long. But to up some, the story starts with a godly man. He's a faithful man. It describes him as someone who gives to the poor. He lives a life of integrity. His name is Cornelius, a commander in the Italian regiment of the Roman military. He's pretty high ranking, but he's unusual. And the reason why he's unusual is because he is someone who worships the God of Israel. So he stands out and he's a man who acts on his faith. He walks the talk, he gives to the poor. He's a man who's respected locally. And that's really unusual because most of the Romans at the time were hated uh, by the Jews. So he's described as a de devout man who fears the Lord and regularly prays. In Hebrews 11 verse 6 it says, he rewards those who earnestly seeks him. And that's what Joanne was saying this morning. And Simon, if we thirsty for God, if we earnestly seek him, he will not disappoint us. He did not disappoint Cornelius. Just to say at this point, I would imagine the people there in Caesarea were really blessed to have him around, wouldn't you? The Jewish people, a man of integrity, a man who gives to the poor, a generous man who fears the Lord. I want people like that running my town, don't you? We need to pray for the people who run our town. So um, God hears, God responds. Cornelius is about to become a part of history. He's about to become a part of God's story. Um, as John pointed out last week, there's a place for all of us. Since the very, very beginning, this was always God's plan, that we would all be invited. And this story shows how the church is changed forever. Do you ever wonder, and maybe you don't, but when we think, talk about Cornelius and describe him, good guy, faithful, gives to the poor, prays, fears the Lord. Many of you might think of people that you know who are like that who are described in that way. Maybe that's you. So how does your story become a part of his story? How does your story become a part of history? And I just want you to have a think about that this morning. Cornelius is just having a normal day as far as he's concerned. Suddenly, boom, God kind of barges in. Who are you meeting? Who's knocking on your door? Which divine appointments or coincidences are you having, depending on how you want to describe it? Just have that antenna up. I'm just thinking, when you're going about your day-to-day, -day, you're being faithful, you're being generous, you're praying, you're just being a person with integrity. Just think about how God barges in and makes your story his story. Because actually something I'm learning a lot is it's not about me, actually. 
It's actually about him and his purposes, his plans, who he's reaching, how his kingdom is being advanced around me and my part I'm playing in that. So Acts 10 verse 3, the day-to-day is about to get very unusual. Cornelius distinctly sees an angel of God and he stares at him in fear. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have not gone unnoticed by God. Now send some men down to Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a leather worker who lives near the shore. Ask him to come and visit you. So what's Cornelius' reaction? Well, the Bible says, as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius sent two of his household and a devout soldier, someone he really trusted. He sent the three of them to go immediately. He he reacted immediately. He immediately sent the people. I would imagine he had a lot of questions in his mind. He will know all the Jewish law and traditions, a string of rules that stated Jews should not enter the homes of Gentiles. They cannot go into what's deemed as unholy ground. But Cornelius, despite all those questions, didn't hesitate. He reacted immediately. So off they went, 32 miles down the coast, uh, in to, down the Mediterranean coast in Israel, down from Caesarea to Joppa. So let's now talk about Peter. They're on a mission to find Peter. What an incredible time Peter has been experiencing. If we just put ourselves in his shoes for a minute, he's had the most unbelievable whirlwind ever since he decided to follow Jesus and become a disciple. It's been exhilarating, scary, an emotional roller coaster, exhorting, probably blissful at times. He's experienced God's amazing grace both with him as a man and also after him, after the resurrection. Peter the bold, the brash one that denied Jesus three times, who's now on a mission to advance the church, the early church. Now in the chapter before this one, chapter nine, he has just had the most incredible experience. There was a guy who was sick for eight years in a place called Lydda. He was there. He prayed for the guy. It was a roll up your mat and walk scenario. He was a paralyzed man. You know, Peter prays. This guy's healed. It's amazing. Then when he gets to Joppa, his next place where he's going to be for a while, he hears when he arrives there a lady called Tabitha who's died. She's a really, um, a woman that everybody loved. Everybody's mourning. They're really upset. What does he do? He goes to where she is They're preparing for her burial. He clears the room. He says to Tabitha's body, Tabitha, get up. She does. She's raised from the dead. So this is kind of what Peter's doing. This is where he's at. He's in an exhilarating, incredible place. So let's also bear in mind, though, that it's a really hostile time. And something we read during the week was about the stoning of Stephen, It's a hostile environment. It's a time when people are not happy about the advancement of the church of God. The religious establishment, the Jews, are not at all happy with how things are going. And they are, you know, the Romans are there to try and keep the peace as well. Anyway, so this is Peter's sort of time where he's at. So he's taking a bit of time out. It says he's hungry, it's lunchtime, and he decides to go to the roof to pray in a property. So chapter 10, verse 10, he goes to the roof to pray. 
it says he falls into a trance. And he saw the same vision three times. That's when you know God's trying to talk to you, don't you? (laughs) Not once, not twice, three times. Probably three times because it was something that was quite hard to understand and digest and try and take into account. So let's have a look at this vision. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure and unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. As I say, the vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was pulled up to heaven. It says, Peter was perplexed. Have you been there? (laughs) I've been there. He was perplexed. What could this vision mean, he asks. When you look at Jewish tradition and Jewish practice about food, you totally get it. Food was a big deal for the Jews. It's a big deal for us, isn't it? I mean, what we eat, we think about it a lot. There's a massive industry worth billions all surrounding food, what we can and can't eat. I know as a parent, I'm constantly trying to think about what I'm going to cook next. And also, is it healthy and the amount of sugar my kids are eating? Food dominates, doesn't it? Whether we like it or not, some of us are obsessed. For the Jews, they were even more sort of having to think about food because God had laid out some very specific rules in Leviticus about food. So, for example, uh, God's people should only eat animals with cloven hooves that chew the cud like cows, sheep, goats, blah, blah. Pigs are a no-no. They have uh, split hooves, but they do not chew the cud. Only certain fish with fins and scales are permitted. I mean, the list goes on and on. Then it's about how you kill them, how you prepare them, how you cook them. I mean, it was a minefield. But the Jewish people were wanting to obey God. They had a heart that wanted to follow these rules. Maybe they were really religious about it or became very religious about it. But they didn't want to become unclean. They wanted the blessing of God on them. So you understand now why Peter's thinking, What on earth is God saying in this vision that he saw several times? In the meantime, there's a knock at the door. Didn't practice that. Uh, Cornelius' men are there. They've arrived and they ask for Peter. Now, here comes a really clear instruction. Don't we just love these? Okay, this is what he said. The Holy Spirit said to, to Peter. It might come up behind me, it may not. Three men are looking for you. There we go. Maybe not. Don't worry if it's not there. I'll say it out loud. Three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate, go with them, for I have sent them. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Can't argue with that. You know what God's saying to do. So, despite his confusion, despite his own feelings, despite his Jewish, Jewish even heritage, um, and all that that meant, Peter had heard God clearly. What did he do? He did trust and he did obey. It didn't make sense. It was actually going against everything he'd learnt, everything he practised, everything his mum had taught him from a very young boy. But he did hear God clearly to go with these men. So he trusted and he obeyed. Have you been there, folks? Have you been there when... 
God has said something, or God has done something, or maybe not God, something's happened to you, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, this is totally not what I sort of signed up for, but you've trusted and you've obeyed. Just think about how that's worked out for you. I bet you nine times out of 10, well, every time actually, if it, if it is of God, it's worked out for you way better than you would have thought or imagined or asked for. The Bible says, doesn't it, that he, he goes way beyond our expectations. Quite often we have an idea of how things might play out and yet God does something that's extraordinarily more incredible and it's because it's not just about your story. It's his story and his story or history means lots of people are gonna be blessed and affected and impacted by you deciding to trust and obey. And that's how it works, it's amazing. Anyway, he didn't go by himself, don't blame him. Safety in numbers, he takes a gang with him, a gang of Jews. <laughs> I'm not gonna be the only unclean one, folks. I'm taking people with me. So they off they go, they go to meet Cornelius. When they get there, the whole are there is packed. Cornelius has got his friends, his family, the world and his wife. They are there waiting. They are full of expectation. Cornelius explains to Peter what happened to him, what God said to him. The angel appeared. He talks to Peter about it. Peter says, I now realize, this is verse 30, 34, how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men and women from every nation who fear him. Then he shares the gospel. He tells them about Jesus. He talks to them about what happened when Jesus died on the cross, what it means for them. The room full of Gentiles, they're just sucking this all up. Verse 44, whilst Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's Peter and his mates, who were traveling with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. God was all over it. God was all over it. So despite everything, despite all those thinking about uncleanness, the food and Jewish tradition and all of that, God showed up. Peter says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized in water now? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered the baptism of them all and it says they stayed for quite a few days. Boom, a massive moment in history. This is it, the Jews and the Gentiles. Wow, incredible. The enormous barriers. Most Jews at the time thought it was scandalous to even associate with a Gentile. Never alone go in their house, eat with them, stay the night. You know, all the barriers that were there, language, culture, prejudice, geography, economic level, educational level, religion, upbringing, it is huge, folks. It's huge. We cannot overstate this. It's massive. But God was there. The Holy Spirit was there. God sometimes moves. He invites people that we may not be comfortable with, people that are not like us. They challenge us, uh, people that we wouldn't associate with. They may be from a different social class, and yet God is on the move. I just want to show you now a clip from one of my programs a couple of years ago, and I'll explain why in afterwards. Yeah. 
pretty good job chasing my editing techniques, so my extra. And uh, I started booking a church hall called St. Andrews in Sheffield, which I renamed the Black Cat Club. And I uh, just started Fridays only, and they cost me three pounds, ten shillings for the Friday night. Uh, a new record case called What We Do, and a couple of girls said to me, look at what about the, uh, this record? Nobody bothered that record in those days, because I'm a gamer. So I bought this, the Beatles from Hannah and on the telephone, and we took us three days to negotiate it, and I negotiated 85 pounds, and never paid a kind of money for anybody in my life. And I came out sweating, I thought I can always cancel them. <laughs> if they don't make it, I can cancel them. Look, I did cancel them, come to February 63, the second record, Please Please Me, was number one. We played from your man. The rest, as they say, is history. A lot of people get me into sort of saying, look, not for the dead, because people prefer to look at their phones, they watch the TV, and not for a in the way that they Okay. So that's a guy called Peter Stringfellow. We've got a picture of him as well, if you want to put the picture of him up. Uh, many of you may know who he is. Many of you may not who, know who he is. So on my program, I talk to bosses of companies all the time. We have them on and we grill them about how they became successful and everything. And that particular morning, it was a couple of years ago, um, he was on the fourth program. I present four more programs in a morning and he was in number four. And I didn't look at who my guests were until about an hour before. And I saw on the list, the guest was Peter Stringfellow. And I was absolutely horrified. I was just absolutely horrified. And what he does, if you don't know who he is, he's in, he's set in his late 70s. He's famous because he was the first person to set up nightclubs in London and get a license to have new dancers at these nightclubs. So they're called gentleman clubs or adult entertainment, however you want to describe it. Anyway, he was, he was going to be in the green room shortly and I was going to have to talk to him and chat to him before the programme. I tell you what, I just didn't want to meet this guy. I absolutely didn't want to meet him. And I had the most bad reaction to the whole thing. I had no prep for it and I just, I just thought, don't want to meet him, don't want to talk to him, not interested. Why is he on my programme anyway? And Why should we give him any publicity? Da-da-da-da-da, rant, rant, rant. Anyway, he arrived. He was absolutely nothing at all as I expected. He was a very nice person. He didn't have a whole entourage of minders around him, which a lot of my guests do. He was just the most normal person ever. He was really nice, very polite. And he spoke to me. I spoke to him at length before we went on air about his wife. He's married a second time. So he's got kids in their 50s and kids under five. It's one of those scenarios. And... Um, he was really honouring, actually. He was very kind. He spoke in a very respectful way about his wife one, wife two, his siblings and blah, blah, blah. And to cut a long story short, I just had a rotten, rubbish, fleshly response. I was just... I was completely pants. You know, I was, I was impartial on TV. I did a good job as a journalist. But my attitude towards him stank. It was absolutely wrong just because of who I'd, who I'd read about or the pictures I'd seen and obviously what he does for a living I didn't agree with and I don't believe it's godly or, or righteous at all or, or what God would want. But that's not the point. That's not the point. I was there, a woman filled with the Holy Spirit and, and a representative of Jesus Christ, and I was completely dissing this guy. Do you see what, does that make sense? And he lives in Gerard's Cross, folks. He could walk in the door of our church and put his kids in our creche. 
How would we react? I think we need to just be honest and real about ourselves and just think about how we, how we do really truly react to people. I think when we sit here on a Sunday and we listen to a preacher, we're like, yeah, that's me. But I think we need to be really honest with ourselves. Be really honest if someone comes into your social scene at school or a load of asylum seekers are suddenly planted in your road or somebody moves across the road that, you know, from a, from a family background or we've got gypsies moving into the park. I mean, where are we with that? Where are we with that? And I think we need to be honest and I think we need to be aware of who we are but not diss ourselves either. I don't want to sort of leave us in a, in a sort of place. And I'll give you an example where I got it right then, <laughs> which is a good thing. So a few years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I was in a church in London. I was just starting out as a journalist and I was single. I was really busy and involved in church and social scene and everything else. And um, God really spoke to me about someone in the church who I hadn't even noticed. She wasn't on my radar at all. She was over 10 years older than me, single lady, very insular, very quiet, really shy. I mean, I just didn't even know she existed until the Holy Spirit really spoke to me and said, I want you to become her friend. And so I did. And initially it wasn't easy because we were from completely different spectrums and we were completely different to each other. But we became good friends and she got very involved in our social scene, which was a real blessing for her because a lot of her friends had all got married, had children, were in a completely different stage and she didn't. So it was a great relationship that was, um, was progressing. But when I used to go to her place for a meal, I noticed that when she cooked for, she'd be cooking, she'd always say to me, oh, Sally, read my post. Can you read my post? First few times, I didn't think anything of it. Some of it was quite official, confidential. And then after a while, I thought, hang on a minute, I'm always reading her post. So I had a look around her flat. She had this big, um, uh, loads of shelves with books on, and I looked at her books, and I noticed none of the spines are creased, and none of these books have been read. And I thought, I started to think, and I think, again, it's the Holy Spirit. She's not reading. So it was a difficult thing to raise, but... I felt it was the leading of, of the Spirit. So I started to talk to her and I said, what's the story here? So then she started to tell me the story of how she's severely dyslexic. She can't read. She can do very little, actually. And at school, she was always shoved in a corner, told that she's useless, completely ignored. I mean, she's now probably in her 60s. Um, and in her time, schools were not geared up for recognizing that kind of thing. They just thought she was disruptive, naughty, shove her in the corner. And she's an only one. She just kind of battled through school. She got a job at a government agency where, again, they can't, couldn't get rid of her but thought she was pretty useless, but stick her in the corner. She can make the tea, do the filing. She didn't know the alphabet, so I won't tell you which government agency. But <laughs> Anyway, um, so I said, she, and she was really, you know, she was telling me all these stories, and it was years and years and years of hurt. And I said, all right. I'm going to teach you to read. And I thought, that's a bold statement. <laughs> Never taught anybody to read before. But anyway, we did read. So one night a week, until she was really good, I went to her flat and we did reading and we did English. And then I got another friend of mine that she got to know through our social circle. The, sec the, the following night, he was there and he did maths. Within months, she was just an absolute whiz. Since then, she's done tons of degrees through Open University. She's like a new woman. And now that's just because God said, just get to know her. 
I mean, there were loads of things. She, she blessed me massively. She uh, was an extremely prophetic, wise person. And at that time in my life, that's kind of what I needed. So it was just a fantastic relationship. And that's where God just prompted me to just be listening. And I think it's good for us to listen. It's good for us to hear who is the Lord telling us to get to know. Have time and be wise. And don't discount yourself. So just very quickly, Neil's fidgeting because I'm going over. Um, just one final point. As many of you know, I had a status update, if you can put it that way, last summer. Uh, my new status was, was widow, something I did not want at all. But what I was going to say this morning was, don't exclude yourself because of who you feel you are. You're, you're, we're part of God's family. You know, we're his children. And there's no reason why we can't see ourselves in the light of being a son and a daughter. And therefore, we have every right and every reason to invite and be involved and be invited. So just remember who you are in Christ and don't discount yourself. Being a widow, you kind of think, oh, there's so many things I don't want to do or try and do or be involved in or go for. God's like, go for it. Who, you know, who, I'm with you. What, what more do you need? Do you know what I mean? And that's a mighty, tiny weenie up some of what I was going to say because I'm out of time. So I'm going to hand you back to Neil. <laughs>